Welcome back, folks, to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again, and today we'll be covering the subject of Japanese tenants and Japanese tenancies. Uh, obviously, a cash flow based property investment is only as good as its tenants, and understanding the local tenant mindsets, the rules, the regulations, the legislation, and the common practices involved, probably as crucial for smooth operation and profitability as anything else, perhaps even more. So, we're going to use residential tenancies as an example. But the vast majority of what we're going to discuss applies to commercial tenancies as well, which are quite similar. Really, the main difference between the two is in their volatility and, and in how susceptible they are to、uh, macro level economic changes.、Uh, while everyone needs a place to live, businesses do tend to open, close, change locations a lot more frequently, particularly in Japan. And commercial properties will be the first to be affected by any major changes to the economy as a rule. So, rents, vacancy, occupancy rates,、uh, property prices, these all fluctuate much more for commercial properties than they do in the case of residential properties. That holds true anywhere in the world, but even more so in Japan,、uh, because residential tenancies are a lot more stable here than in other places, and we'll get into that in a moment. So, really, The first thing to consider when discussing residential tenancies in Japan is the difference, the huge difference, I should say, between legislation and practicalities. Officially, Japanese law is very tenant oriented.、Um, it aims to protect the tenant from any abuse by the landlord, which is a necessity because in the past, tenants have been severely abused by landlords.、Uh, landlords would charge them ridiculous move in amounts, some of them still do. And then kick them out a few months in, start over again with new tenants. And so the law has been revamped. It is now geared towards tenants, mainly in the sense that all contractual and lease obligations are far more、um, obligatory to the landlords than they are to the tenants these days. Breaking a lease, for example, which is a major no no in many other countries and you know, can lead to debt, to bad credit, to blacklistings. In Japan, really, a tenant is, is legally free to move out at any time, and the most that the landlord will be able to get as compensation if the tenant breaks the lease is a month or two months of rent at most. They might be able to keep the security deposit if they've received one, but that really amounts to the same thing. The landlord, on the other hand, is obliged to provide the tenant with a six month notice prior to the end of the lease if they want them to move out at the end of the lease. And they also need to provide a valid reason for the request as well. This is all official. In practice, though, the Japanese are very change averse.、Uh, in fact, one of the things they try to avoid at all costs is any change to their life circumstance. That includes work.、Uh, the concept of lifelong employment is still very much a golden standard in Japan. And also, any other changes to their lives, most definitely including where they live. So, Although tenancy leases are not legally binding to the tenant in Japan, in reality they do tend to be longer than in most other countries. The average tenancy, from our experience, for a studio or a one bedroom unit, meaning a single tenant property, is about four to five years, let's call it four and a half years, longer than that for families, and you'll often see the same tenants in place even longer than that, so eight, ten, fifteen, even twenty years and more. These are all quite common occurrences. Now, 
You may be asking yourself, why on earth would anyone rent for this long, considering that they could have bought the property several times over in that period of time. I mean, they're so cheap. Well, the answer to that is that the Japanese, for one, are very reluctant to part with their savings. And even more so in the case of property ownership, especially for those low-income earners who rent out these smaller, older places, property ownership is just not a very common practice for them. A lot of them, particularly those in their 40s and 50s, have a very bad image of property ownership as well, mainly due to the, uh, the huge economic meltdown that happened here uh, in the early 90s, where the uh, property bubble burst. So the thought of spending their life savings on buying a property that may lose its value uh, is a very scary one for the average Japanese. Next subject is securities. So there are three types of securities that a tenant can provide when they move into a property. By order of preference to the landlord, these are probably uh, rent insurance, then security deposits, and lastly, personal guarantors. Rent insurance, uh, or as it's called here, a, a guarantee company, is a service which covers up to three months of rent in case of payment issues or damages to the property and also the cost of removal and cleaning in case a tenant absconds and leaves their possessions in the property. These companies will also cover legal costs in case a tenant needs to be forcibly removed or a unit needs to be forcibly entered for any reason. That's extremely rare in Japan though. Generally speaking, should a tenant fail to pay the rent, uh, as it would, all it will usually take is an official letter from the property manager and they'll promptly move out. The rent insurance security is also the best form of security because it's the only way you can get a credit and background check on potential tenants. This is something that the property managers cannot do here. But for the insurance company to approve the tenant for rent insurance, they will check their employment or whatever income status they've got. They'll check their personal history, their personal references as well. And that's really the only way to get any sort of credit check done on potential tenants here. Credit checks generally are not a hugely important issue in Japan since, as mentioned, they do tend to be good tenants, so they would very rarely damage a property or, or have payment issues, like we said. But obviously there are some profiles, such as single females over 30 who are employed full-time, uh, recent retirees or pensioners on the younger edge of the scale, uh, mid-level, long-term employed company staffers who might be single or they may be renting the place to live in during the week, going home families to the weekend. Students at the start of their terms uh, whose rent usually gets paid by their parents. All of these profiles are better and more stable than others. For example, part-time workers, uh, younger people who've only just entered the job market, so they're more likely to get married or promoted or relocated and move out. The best way to find out about this tenant profile without breaching the privacy laws is the, if the potential tenant applies for rent insurance as their security. The second type of security is a security deposit, which is usually one or two months of rent, and that's payable when the lease is signed. The landlord can then use those funds in case of um, missing or late payments, damages upon vacating the property, so obviously it's money in the bank, which is good, but it's a bit more limited of an amount compared with the rent insurance policy, which will cover a lot more if needed. And lastly, there are personal guarantors. Uh, while these obviously aren't as attractive as the first two types of securities, they are actually better than they are considered to be in other countries. 
uh, even more so if we're talking about parents or bosses of tenants, since that the cultural fear of public shaming runs very deep in Japan. So a tenant will always do their best to avoid having their, um, let's call them their elders approached and, and notified that they've been causing problems at their residence. The guarantors themselves will also always try to do the right thing and they do take their responsibilities quite seriously. However, they may not always be able to do so, especially if these are elderly or incapacitated parents, grandparents we're talking about. They may just not have the financial ability to pay the funds required. Um, or, depending on how long the tenant's actually been in residence, they may not even be around to pay those uh, debts anymore. Now, another unique aspect of Japan's tenancy laws is the complete lack of inspections on tenanted uh, properties. The law here prohibits anyone from entering a tenanted property unless it's by the tenant's request to attend for a maintenance issue, etc. Which means that there are no periodical inspections of the units, including in the cases of ownership change. Also, no photographs of the interior that you can review. So, in fact, the only inspection you'll ever be able to do of a tenanted property is when a tenant moves out. Now, what this means in practice is that if you do want to buy a tenanted turnkey property, which will be generating income from day one, you'll be buying it sight unseen. Your only indication of the internal condition would be the renovation history, if there is a renovation history, the length of the current tenancy, and the age of the property itself. Now, if you've purchased a vacant or recently populated property, or even one that's only had a tenant in it for a couple of years or so, the property is most likely in good shape because the uh, once a tenant, the previous tenant moved out, it would have to be uh, renovated, repaired for the new tenant to move into it. However, if you're purchasing an older property that has no recent renovation history or a property where the tenant's been in place for a longer period of time, you can expect some substantial renovations and repair, repairs to occur when this tenant moves out. Now, we've discussed in the past um, that smaller studio one-bedroom units in older blocks tend to generate higher yields and there's a larger tenant base for them because of the declining population in Japan so many people are singles and that's the easiest type of tenant to find another reason that many people prefer to focus on these um, smaller studio and one-bedroom units is because the cost of a complete renovation of a small unit is obviously much lower than the cost of renovating a larger property and because you are buying sight unseen that risk does exist. So people prefer to go for a smaller unit where they're not going to be significantly out of pocket. Now, this might lead some of you uh, to be wary of purchasing tenanted units. But again, in practice, the reality is the Japanese normally take very good care of the properties that they live in. There are rarely any issues aside from normal wear and tear or occasional accidental damage that the landlord needs to be concerned with. So it does make sense to buy a tenanted property which generates income from day one as opposed to a vacant one where you're actually buying into expenses instead of income. Last issue is probably um, important to consider the fact that rent is generally not raised or lowered in Japan when a tenancy lease is in effect, even when it's renewed. The average Japanese generally considers negotiation uh, or haggling of any sort to be conflict. And if there's anything that the Japanese hate more than change, it's conflict. Now, this will generally work in your favor, because if you'll recall from the previous podcast, 
Japan's economy has been in deflation for the better part of the last three decades, up until 2012 or so, which means that rents have been going down until then. What this means is that if you're buying a tenanted property where the tenant's been in residence for, say, eight years or over, you'll often find that they're actually paying the same rent they were paying when they moved in. And that rent amount would be substantially higher than comparable rents are these days, simply because the tenant doesn't want to move out because they hate change. They never asked for a discount because they hate negotiation, which is perceived as conflict. And so they're, they're still paying the same rent that they were paying when they moved in, even though they might be able to even pay half of it if they move out to a new unit now. It's important, though, to understand that you, you do want to know what the average rent for comparable uh, units in the area uh, is these days, because if and when that tenant does move out, that's what you're going to get from the next tenant. On the downside of that, you really don't want to raise the rent when the lease is renewed because your tenant is very likely to move out if you do that. So it's okay to notify them, again, six months in advance if you're going to raise the rent upon renewal, as long as you're sure that you can find a new tenant who will pay this higher rent easily if they decide to move out. But since, again, as we discussed in the previous podcast, Rent haven't really risen in most parts of the country yet, so you should really check into this average rent um, situation very carefully before deciding if you're going to raise the rent uh, on, on lease renewal or not. Now, everything that we've discussed so far, um, I'm sure may sound counterintuitive to what you're used to from your country of origin or from any other country where you may have property investments. But the important takeaway here, in spite of all this strangeness, is that Japanese tenants are really ideal tenants in many respects. They almost always pay on time, they almost never damage a property, they don't uh, run drug labs or other illegal operations, they don't invite other people to live in with them, sublease, all the other horror stories that you often hear about or experience firsthand in other countries just very rarely uh, occur here in Japan. And this, among other things, is one of the most attractive features of the Japanese property investment market. That is probably it for today. Covered a lot of ground. Do subscribe to our podcast if you found this content of interest or go to our website for more. That's www.nippontradings.com That's N-I-P-P Tradings with an S or one word dot com. And until next time, happy investing.